0: Welcome to Altered States of Context, a podcast about psychedelic psychotherapy and the uneasy fit between a medicalized view of human suffering and the mysterious mystical world of psychedelic drugs. I'm your co-host
1: Nathan Gates. And I'm your co-host Brian Pilecki. We're two therapists and longtime psychedelic advocates who love to discuss all aspects of this fast evolving field. Thanks for keeping it current with us.
0: And thanks for keeping it weird. As we dive into today's episode,
2: Christine Calvert is a licensed chemical dependency counselor and a certified holotropic breathwork facilitator. She is a module facilitator and teacher for Groff Transpersonal Training, both in the US and internationally. In addition to bringing holotropic breathwork and other experiential workshops to mental health and addiction facilities, she is passionate about the ethics and integrity needed in facilitating expanded state work, supporting the integration of holotropic and psychedelic sessions through somatic resourcing, and creative expression, personal ritual, and group support. Her own personal healing journey was greatly influenced by the holotropic perspective, and she feels deeply dedicated to sharing this work with those seeking healing. She enjoys finding ways to weave her personal and professional experience of different therapeutic and spiritual systems such as shamanism, somatic experiencing, Jungian psychology, attachment theory, and mindfulness practices into her work with others. Christine maintains a private counseling and consulting practice in addition to facilitating holotropic breathwork nationally and supporting psilocybin facilitator trainings in Oregon.
1: everybody. Welcome to another episode of Altered States of Context. I'm your host, Brian Pilecki, and I'm here with my co-host, Nate. Hi, Nate. Hello. Good morning. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today, who is a colleague and a friend of mine out in Oregon, uh, Christine Calvert. Christine, welcome to our show.
3: Hi, thank you. It's good to be with you guys.
1: So I'm so excited to dig into your your uh, background and and what you do um, in this space, um, but I thought maybe I'd ask you just to briefly introduce yourself to our our listeners just to give them a, a general sense of kind of who you are and what you're what you've been up to lately.
3: Sure, yeah. Um, let's see. I think a good place to start is. Uh, yeah, I'm certified in something called holotropic breath work um, through Graf transpersonal training, which um, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit, but branch of uh, uh, transpersonal psychology that uses breath and music to work in expanded states. Um, and I'm licensed as a chemical dependency counselor out of, uh, I'm from Austin originally, so out of Texas. Um, a lot of my work was... Uh, working, uh, bringing a sort of holistic and transpersonal uh, perspective to addiction recovery, um, and uh, yeah, also somatic experiencing is pretty uh, dense in my in my background as well. So, um, sort of uh, m- you know mixing those things together is sort of uh, uh, my approach.
1: Yeah, that's. Good. Thank you for thank you for sharing a bit about yourself, and um, I guess one one place to start would be to uh, to talk a little bit about maybe the history of holotropic breathwork. I imagine that for uh, many of our audience, they may not be familiar with what holotropic breathwork is. So maybe you can just kind of briefly describe you know, what is what is that and, and, and how, you know, how is that developed and, and why do we hear that in spaces that we, uh, that we often talk about psychedelics?
3: Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, holotropic breathwork was um, originally developed or or I like to say birth sort of midwifed by um, a psychiatrist out of originally from the Czech Republic by the name of Stanislav Grof. Uh, and his late wife Christina Groff. and um, it's been around for I think we're going on about six decades. So the last sixty years, uh, this you know method has sort of existed, and uh, it really came from uh, Stan's work uh, using LSD in therapeutic settings. And so, as we all know, you know when when LSD hit the streets, it became Illegal to use in clinical settings. And so he had to stop his research, which was happening in, in the United States in the late fifties, early sixties. And, uh, you know, he, he's a really interesting individual in the sense that he really carries the sort of archetype of the mystic and the scientist. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what sort of lent the the space for him to continue to explore and draw on his wisdom and experience um, as a researcher, but also as somebody who had participated in many different uh, um, you know, spaces where they were using different means to alter consciousness. And so he became really uh, obsessed uh, with the healing potential of expanded states of consciousness. So, um, you know, he would notice, uh, for instance, at the end of a LSD session that uh, sometimes people would spontaneously move into this deeper, faster, sort of circular breath pattern and it would propel them deeper into the experience. And it would allow them to sort of stay in and integrate and and work through some of the material. Not to mention, you know, he he knew and we know that uh, breath has been used for centuries to, you know, alter consciousness for the purpose of healing. So it's sort of an experiment in that sense of like, oh, this is this is what I'm seeing. And so through that, they sort of birthed this, this thing we know as holotropic breathwork, the music we use a lot of, uh, we use music that doesn't have any English language. Um, there's some like focused energy release work. But the the premise of it that is, I think, really relevant is um essentially that we all have an inner healer there's this inner wisdom that is you know sort of moving the experience rather than it being uh, having anything to do with the facilitator um, And you know back then that was a pretty novel concept and so um, you know I think it's really relevant today you know we're start so one of the the beautiful things is there was also an incredible, Setup of what, you know, we know is like set and setting. Mm-hmm. Not only was there a person doing the breath work session, but there was also somebody that was their sitter. Right. And then there were facilitators walking around the room. So it was a really beautiful um, setup to uh, really have a safe uh, and well-formed container to do, you know, deep work in. So we're starting to hear, you know, one Stan Groff's name again, because he, he really was one of the, the pioneers in consciousness research relevant to um, you know, using things that uh, allow us to really explore the human psyche. And then, and then holotypic breathwork was born from that as an alternative to psychedelics that do have the same uh, or similar potential to really uh, allow us to, to go deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and st- what he was seeing was that people were having just as deep of experiences with the holotropic breathwork as they were with psychedelics. Um, so that allowed him to essentially continue his research. So yeah, we're hearing it again because of this incredible re- renaissance that's happening. You know, his name in this work is sort of starting to uh to be uh to to be heard again mm-hmm. for a lot of people for the first time.
0: um i'm excited we i don't think we've talked about um stan groff on, on not really on the on the program before but um yeah and i'm sure you were at ciis so i'm sure he cast a very big shadow there i went to naropa you know uh, in mm-hmm. my um undergrad and um he came and did a whole tropic breath work workshop um while i was there and i got to meet that in one of my um possession one of my prized possessions is his book LSD psychotherapy which uh you know he i got to meet him and have his signature on it so big big fan of of, of stan groff and his work and you know as you were talking to and you mentioned this um you know this inner healer uh inner healing intelligence and sometimes i hear people talking about that and kind of like in a dismissive sort of woo woo way which i think is sort of silly because it's extremely common sense you know Um, like if you cut yourself or pull a muscle, right? Like it's not like, like your body knows what to do. And I don't know why we would view it as somehow, um, you know, really out there to assume that if we have, um, you know, sort of uh, psychological wounding or uh, trauma or something like that, that if we are able to create the correct conditions that our body won't, you know, our mind and body won't know what to do. It, to me, I view it as, as as basically the same process, and and extremely common sense. Not really woo woo or out there or, or pseudo spiritual or anything like that. Because, um, yeah, it just that's what we do. You know, if we have the right conditions, we'll spontaneously heal because um, we have that ability.
3: Yes, yes, I agree. I actually use that same analogy a lot of the, yeah, the physical body having that capacity to self, to self-heal. And yeah, it's, it, it only makes sense that it would be the same for the the psyche. And I think that's what we've been able to see, right. Whether it's through, um, through the portal of, you know, psychedelic medicine, but also through the breath work. I mean, it's incredible because it's this endogenous medicine and that in and of itself, uh, you know, is proof enough that, we very much have the capacity mm-hmm. to heal mm-hmm. given especially the right circumstances and the the right set setting.
0: Yeah. You know what? I'm curious. And I want to, um, not, uh, I guess skepticism isn't the right word, but you know, I, I guess I'd like you to, to hear you talk more about the breath work when I did the weekend. I mean, um, uh, my experience very much was like, man, this would be a lot better if it was LSD. I didn't, you know, like in the weekend breath work, like I didn't quote, like get there really. Um, I had like, you know, some mildly, mildly interesting experience, Um, but it didn't seem to me. And I know other people, you know, have that experience. So I'm not, I don't mean to, um, I'm not trying to be dismissive, just that that my experience was definitely um, underwhelming as far as that goes.
3: Yeah. I, I've had a lot of those too. Um, yeah, it's a little, I mean, it's a little bit mysterious in that sense. And I kind of appreciate in some ways leaving it, you know, in the palm of the mystery, because w- what's incredible is, <clears throat> you know, I've watched, you know, at this point, thousands of people and including, uh, myself have a, such a diverse range of experiences and, um, I've come to really trust them. Um, you know, my first holotropic session was, I, I went into it, heard an intro talk. I thought, this sounds like bullshit, you know. Um, but the second that music came on, my my psyche, something started to mobilize. And I, I ended up having one of the most profound experiences of my life. I was uh, 20 years old. And since then I've had a a range of experiences that have moved from some of the most incredible, um, yeah. Life-changing, um, you know, relevant experiences to, you know, taking a really expensive nap. Um, and yeah, I, I, I find that for some, some people that have a lot of psychedelic experience, there's, there's certainly one of two things. One is that, um, it is underwhelming, right? There's a little bit of the the anticipation, maybe a little bit of expectation sort of thing. Um, or two, it it actually really meets the it it meets the um, the sort of uh, c- like capacity to also have be as extraordinary as as something like LSD. Um, and I don't pretend to understand what determines that, but I I also like want to put a plug in for um, the subtle space, you know, and, and our uh, sort of in, at least, you know, for me and so many people I've, I've talked to, there's, there's often plenty, you know, happening. Um, And I think those of us that are used to being kicked over the threshold where it's obvious and overt are like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard sometimes to, uh, experience the subtlety uh, that's actually happening um, as we're as the body, as the being, as the psyche is like attempting to move past the threshold and maybe can't. And I think there's a lot of information in that space. And I'm sort of curious how the holotropic can actually give us a lens into that and the way I think there's a lot of space to look at. Use a little IFS language like some of the manager and protector parts and how they operate uh, in certain containers and, you know, around, like, there's so many different ways that we could talk about this, but, you know, there's a lot of, I think, um, space in there to like explore other parts that aren't like the, just, you know, the, the way that we understand like an expanded state. And so for, Mm -hmm. for me, it took me a while to go like, well, what is an expanded state? Like, and, and I, I knew them and like, I knew like one version of that, to be honest. Um, so when I started doing the breath work, I was like, wow, there's so many different ways to experience this, including the one that is sort of feels like a dud, if you will. Like there's a space like, well, nothing much is happening. And not that it's, I mean, the reality is some people just don't have deep experiences and I want to, you know, honor that. It's definitely not a modality for everybody, but it is sort of interesting to, like I said, like give a little space for what, like some curiosity around the pre-threshold, um, you know, uh, space and mm-hmm. and there, there's some nuances there to me.
1: Yeah, and you could, I mean, you could have kind of a dud experience with psychedelics too. Like you can have, oh. you know, you can take a. I've seen people talk about experiences where they've had, you know, medium doses, even high doses, where they haven't felt much of anything happen. So. Um, I, I, I like your um, kind of characterizing it under the mystery of, of these tools, uh, and you know, I, I did a um breath work uh, day retreat um, while I was at CIS. Um, I think around the same time that, that you were at Naropa, Nate, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. And yeah, I did have I did remember having some skepticism going into it. It was more like well, you know, um, I've had psychedelic experiences. I, I wonder what, you know, how this, how this is going to compare. And my experience was pretty deep in that I had mm-hmm. um, just lost my childhood dog who was living on the other coast. You know, my, my parents had to put, put him down. And actually, it was probably a couple of years after that, but it was just like all this grief came up and, and tears. And, and I remember I was with a sitter that I had just met that day. We wound up becoming like best friends. I was best man at his wedding and we still are very close today. Um, and so I was surprised at how powerful experience. And I think the cool part is, you know, when we talk about this inner healer, it's like in holotropic breath work, you're you're doing the work right you're doing the breathing and so it, it really brings to light this this inward capacity that we have to be whole and and to to process what we need to process to feel what we need to feel
3: mm, yeah yes I love that yeah and it's a it's an interesting like field to be in the the holotropic you know Nate, I'm, I'm sure like I was thinking about your experience too. It's I've, I've definitely like, I mean, I've gone to week long trainings and had these sort of things where I'm like, huh, not, like not, I eh, guess it wasn't, you know, not today. Um, mm-hmm. But then I'm, like, I am like, I move into the sitter role, right. Cause this is the dynamic in the work where you have, um, you know, you're, you're a breather and someone's sitting for you and then you switch right later in the day or, and and then the the sitting experience will will end up being you know more profound, uh, or be the medicine of that day I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. Uh, being in the sort of field of what's unfolding around me, it's a it's an interesting room to sit in. That's for sure. Uh, to watch, um, you know, it's really interesting about the breath as the vehicle. This to me really speaks to set and setting. I walk into these rooms a lot and I have people that come breathe in our workshops. And this is also my experience at this point, depending on the room I'm in. Right. But where people are in process before they even walk into the room, you know, meaning the the tears are coming and the body's maybe starting to shake a little bit, or um, they lay down on the mat before we've even started. We do like a little relaxation to help prompt the body to just open to whatever needs to come. And then, and then the music comes on. So before the relaxation even comes on, meaning nobody's taken a breath, nobody's dosed themselves with a with a deeper, faster breath at this point. The the psyche is in full-blown motion and people are fully in process. Facilitator has to go be with them and you know start start supporting the work. And so it's really interesting because it 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 speaks even more to, yeah, when when the when the system, when the psyche you know, whatever these components are that are relating to the external world feels safe enough. There's so much that is so ready to be mobilized, to heal, you know, to come forth. Um, And with that said, on the other spectrum, I I just want to name too, that some people really like need the breath and it's, it's, you know, there's a, there's a time thing with that. It's like uh, where breathing for a while is really necessary to sort of like shift out of ego consciousness
1: you know Mm -hmm. yeah it kind of reminds me of just like the idea that you know the 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 the, for psychedelics like the the trip starts the moment you decide to do the trip even if it's months or years away yeah that that begins this process um and i you know i know in maybe not like cognitive behavioral therapies as much but i'm thinking of like psychoanalytic traditions they talked about that as being part of the frame of therapy that you would kind of like, you know, if you were seeing your analyst, you know, the couple of days before your therapy session, you might be thinking about what you're going to share stuff might be bubbling up that are, is important to like, look at and be curious about. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I think there's, 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 that, that's not a brand new idea. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think when we talk about psychedelics, so much emphasis, too much emphasis gets put into the the trip itself yes. as if that's the end all be all. And, um, you know, I like how you're kind of pointing to the process can begin even before the person doses, whether that's dosing with changing their breath or dosing by ingesting some substance.
3: Yes. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like I'm about to go participate in a And a holographic breath work. It's a week long, which I haven't done in a long time at this juncture, but, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm in therapy twice a week, you know, the last few, few weeks, because Mm -hmm. that's, that's how responsive my, my psyche is to saying yes. You know, the second I sort of click the registration button uh, it's ready. It's like, awesome. Let's, let's do it. You know, there's a, the um, yeah, there's a lot of preparation um, and gosh, I mean, we're so, we're so nuanced and we're so complex and, uh, everybody, you know, really responds to in our work differently. Um, and I think it's a really beautiful creative process to be in with ourselves. It's, it's like, a uh, you know, so many awkward first dates and, um, you know, so many just getting to know different aspects of the healing process over time. Especially when we're working in expanded states. I mean, it just it brings such strange things to the surface in such odd ways sometimes and 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 often inopportune times. And then we have these incredible mechanisms that are that are like you know managing this.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so it's complicated. You know, we're we're not living in in indigenous, you know, culture and space where we really know how to honor these, the wisdom of of, of the internal, of the, of the internal experience and uh, whatever forces we believe that relate to that. But, and so, yeah, it's an interesting process to, uh, understand like preparation. What does that really mean? This is such an ambiguous term, especially in the Western world and then session, you know, and what is that? I feel like I've, I've been in session for the last few weeks, you know, um, and then obviously integration, which I think as, uh, you know, as busy as we are and distracted and, um, just Westernized, like we'll always be trying to unfold and unfurl that in a way that's u- actually useful to us, you know?
0: Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to um I didn't mean to at the end, you know at the outset here uh you know cast myself in the role of the um super skeptic about it.
3: Good. <laughs> you know, I had
0: yeah. I I had I had um you know the experience I had which there's a lot of reasons for not the least of which I think is that I was particularly excited for that weekend to listen to him talk and I was like in a pretty heady sort of intellectual Space coming yeah. into that because a good half of the time was, I mean, he was he he spoke a lot, and that's what I was I was just really excited to hear um Stan talk, and that didn't disappoint in the slightest. And I, I mean, a really really impressive person, you know, I think at the time he's in his late 70s, I believe, and you know, just as, as vigorous and healthy a person with this sharp mind, it's just you know, so was, that was you know, it was a wonderful yeah. thing. So, there's a lot of reasons why I may or may not had um. An experience and kind of what uh I, you know I, I did kind of come away thinking and still to the i, I didn't go down there. i thought about going and, and and doing more breath work but kind of decided against it um but something that makes a lot of sen- sense to me is sort of like uh they seem like they go well together you know you have periodic uh you know experiences and the um and, you know and breath work um well I guess, tell me more about that. Is this something that's almost always just done in retreat with another person? Are there elements of breath work that are kind of done, uh, you know, know, on on a, uh, um, you know, a smaller scale that's more integrated into sort of life, you know, or is it always sort of a retreat thing where you're really getting away and having an experience or, you know, kind of, uh, are there different applications or uses of it or is it really just kind of the one thing?
3: Yeah, that's a good question um you know generally at least the way like holotropic was initially you know designed if you will there's a a a pretty like specific uh format Mm. which i think there's a lot of wisdom in that and there's a you know a tendency even for me to like want to shorten this and to do make things more accessible because that's the world we live in but i i appreciate how like um you know, sure holotropic is about the format that they hold that's held that that Stan created because it it holds uh potential in its length <laughs> um for something something spectacular to happen. Let's just put it that way. You know, and what I mean by that is when I run a workshop here, it's like a non-residential weekend thing or even a day long. It will never be shorter than 10 hours. Um that's a that's one holotropic breathwork day Um, because you know you have at least two and a half hours of one session some integration time and then you switch and if you were the breather you're then the sitter and you have another session we have prep and integration time bookending that so I mean it is uh, it's dense in terms of like what it entails as a you know as a event Um, with that said holotropic breathwork is well, one, many forms of breathwork that works. One of my teachers says the breath works. We know that. And that to me is like, yeah, there's so many different ways to utilize the breath as medicine. Uh, I have a breathwork practice that I do in the morning sometimes, you know, Um, sometimes when people are not interested in the holotropic, uh, we'll do something else that is a combination of the like sort of, you know, trainings that I have into a shorter breathwork experience, which is not holotropic. But the the holotropic is a actual perspective. I mean, it's an entire framework, therapeutic framework. Um, so the breathwork is the mode, is one method that is under this whole umbrella of um, understanding psyche and consciousness, which we still understand very little about. But it's a framework. That uh, one allows space to be curious and to expand the framework if we have an experience that doesn't already fit in it. This is uh, a space, you know that I think standard such a he was so such a like, uh, he was so curious and interested. And you know, I think what was fascinating about the way that he um, kind of created this like holotropic paradigm is, what it meant is that if your experience doesn't fit in the framework, it's there's nothing wrong with your experience. It's that the framework is not big enough. And so he would widen it. And that just gives so much permission for us to explore the psyche, the human psyche. And um, it's a perspective that holds not only like our transpersonal nature you know, which is like everything beyond the human, the 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 egoic self that we understand as self, um, you know, little s and and all the possibility from the sort of archetypal dimension to, you know, relating to plant-animal consciousness to past lives, to, you know, some some things that maybe are termed as a little more simple, which is like unity consciousness or connecting to, you know, um a sense of 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 deep love and like the heart chakra, you know, these things that are like, kind of beyond the the personal biography. And then there's a space for uh, everything that would include our humanity, you know? So our personal biography, and then a a big piece that Stan dove into was uh, the the perinatal experience and understanding how, you know, that uh, experience served as a template for some of the patterns that we experience in life. So it's a really big domain, um, and and holotropic mm-hmm. breathwork was just uh, a vehicle to explore that domain. Um, and then to answer your question more specifically, it is generally you know quite an event like to to go to and mm-hmm. to do. It's held in a very specific way. People spend years training in this method. Um, it's interesting. I spent four and a half years training in holotropic breathwork. So when I hold that next to some of the the training programs for people sitting with psilocybin, it's, it's just like, you know, it's interesting because um, I found that I needed that much time. And, and part of that is just having personally traveled and traversed my own inner territory and a lot of hitting a lot of those sort of aspects of this incredible, you know, domain before I was holding it, holding it for with others. Um yeah. Would you and say
0: to, to just, to just uh, kind of summarize here, would you say like it would be, uh, would a fair summary be sort of like um, holotropic breath work, as you're describing, kind of encompasses an approach to working with and making sense of non-ordinary states of consciousness. And also it is a technology for, you know, moving into those. It's kind of both of those things, both an approach to working with the the non-ordinary states of consciousness, but also a technology for getting there.
3: Perfect. Beautiful. Beautiful.
0: Yes. Um, and there could be, you know, um, many other technologies. There's no, uh, you know, reason to think that that's, you know, the only one or the best one. It's a technology that is legal. <laughs> that's the that was the the big part there, I think, and why it was developed. Um, but the intention very much is working with non-ordinary states of consciousness. So the experience could be something like what I describe it, we call the dead nothing, right? But if something opens up that is not a dud that is, you know, then um, you know, and if it's an experience like mine, yeah, go drive home, whatever. You're just like, but if it's if you, you always allow for and make space for and require that, you know, something full on could open up, so there is the space for that. The like the intention always is. To have space to hold an experience like that, whether or not that actually happens, that's yes. always when working with this. That's always the intention.
3: Yes. You mean as a as a facilitator, or just as a as a yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. As I was thinking I mean,
0: about from a participant or uh, from a facilitator's point of view. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, we're trained to to have the most the potential for the most intense, you know, intense, whatever that means. Right. But experience happen on the floor. So, uh, we're well staffed on the, on the facilitator floor often. Um, and yeah, I mean, what happens in this work is that, uh, we are a little bit more engaged, you know, if needed, than maybe with a, like a psychedelic session. So, you know, because, um, you know so for, for example if 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 somebody's working in a really regressed state and they've uh, at, so we we don't just move into people's spaces just to name that there's a a certain v- very like non-intrusive way of working with people and you know it's not the type of method where we like walk around and like put our hands on people's hearts and things and just start doing body work we're really intentional about making sure that people ask for for what they need or having some sort of Um, contract with the sitter or with us about uh, working with them. And that feels so important because if we go against that, we completely obliterate the purpose of what we believe the work has a capacity for, which is, um, you know, radical self-empowerment really. Mm. And if we walked in without somebody asking, or we did what we thought they needed, we would also completely like slaughter the idea of the inner healer. And so that is one thing on holotropic breathwork floor that you will never see, or I hope you never see. Um, and that feels really important, just again to like really hold the the anchor in the sort of radical self-empowerment relevant to our healing. Because I don't know about you, but one of the things that was called to me so deeply about this work was, was the first space I stepped into was where one, people said, come as you are, and they meant it and they had the arms wide enough to hold that. And two they, that, that I was completely in control and I had agency and facility over what I chose to have enter my space. And I had given away so much power up to that point in my life, you know, so much power to teachers and healers and methods. And, you know, um, so it was really important. And, and anytime I tried to like give my power away and give them, you know, the, they would just hand it back. Like this was the, this is this sort of Uh, relationship in that work um with a lot of support so I forgot your original question Nate, or what we were where we were going with that but
0: it's okay because I kind of would like to I'd love to dig into this a little bit more um this so this idea of of agency in particular you know um my work is um you know I'm a psychotherapist um uh, in a uh, just a private practice um, pretty traditional format um, and have been for many years now and um, and you know I'm a person in the world um, <laughs> and uh, as well and um, the sense of agency is one that I, I, you know I, I, I've been coming back to a whole lot you know and, and, and people not exercising what ability they do have in their lives to make a difference. And, and, you know, on all the beliefs that go with that and, and, you know, and the the challenge of helping someone who doesn't have a strong, you know, sense of, of that to develop it. Um, and, and so I just kind of want to dig in a little more to what you're talking about and, and, and feel free to, because I think one of the things that would be cool to explore with this, um, you know, how that might relate to, um, the birth, uh, matrices, um, that he talked about, because I always found that idea, you know, extremely powerful and, um, and, and you know, and kind of one of those things that, 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 you know, it could raise a, a, skeptical eyebrow pretty easily, um, for, I think a lot of people would, 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 um, be pretty skeptical about that. I am at this point really not very skeptical about it because A, it makes sense and B, um, I've, I've, I've had, that experience in, um, you know, in a psychedelic session before really, really, really intensely um, as fascinating and transformative. Um, but I think there's a lot, you know, in that experience that relates to the agency you're discussing. And, you know, if you'd like to talk about that, um, yeah, please.
3: Yeah. I mean, this is, I think this is probably the part that excites me the, the most about, you know, this, this work it psychedelic work too, is that, you know, one, it's, it's so tender. I mean, the, the nuance of it too, is so real in the sense that when we're holding space like this for people that are in such p- placing themselves in such vulnerable positions, you know, um, we have the capacity to support some of the most life-changing healing or the capacity to completely collaborate and re-traumatization, you know, um, and I don't mean to be so binary about that because I think there's a lot of nuances and the relational field is really complex and complicated. Um, but this is the reality is that, like one, you know, I'm walking into that field with someone with a ton of stuff. It doesn't matter how much work I've done on myself, like I'm walking in with my humanity and my need, need or, um, you know, partial need for intimacy in my personal life not met, or, you know, I think we're always walking in with, with a lot of, um, layers relevant to intimacy and connection and our need to be, be useful. And, you know, there's so much wrapped up, you know, around the need to be, um, what does it mean to be a facilitator, right? And the ways in which we relate to that archetype within ourselves or teacher. And, um, so the nuances in which we are already walking in with our crap is there. And, and then whatever's happening in the field, you know, and, and or with somebody else and the way in which we are engaging in it. And there's instantly, instantly a sort of sinistry that's happening. Um, and we can only hope that we're sort of clean enough or aware enough that there's actually something healing about that sinistry, you know, and not and not something harmful. But, you know, one of the the <laughs> I mean, let's see. There's a lot of different directions to go with that, but yeah, one. So go ahead. I can, I can see you leaning in. Go for it. Oh,
0: <laughs> well, I'm very interested in what you're saying. That story <laughs> popped into my mind to maybe underline yeah. uh, this. this too. So it was when my son, my first son, he was, um, oh boy, 18 months, maybe uh, I can't remember exactly, but he was verbal, but barely, you know what I mean? Like he, he had words. Um, and when my wife was pregnant, she had, um, you know, she did the whole, you know, you know birthing uh, from within, you know, Ina May Gaskin, um, uh, natural type birth, all of this. And so she'd made a cast of her belly, you know, and then that, and that was sitting on her dresser. And next to that was like a picture that she had made of a pregnant belly. Like it was art that she had done. You know while she was pregnant and anticipating the birth experience. And we were with she and I and Quinn were and he was asking, he pointed at it and he got, you know, and um and he was looking at it and um looks at the picture and looks at and I swear this is this happened. Um and then he said oh cold tight tight cold and he started saying these things and Emily and I were just like freak like what what is happening? because he described these experiences that would have been birth experiences. Like, like it was just extremely clear to us that he was describing an experience and he was 18, you know, 18 months old. And so, and of course he doesn't remember that now, you know, brains developed whatnot, but, um, but he did. And so that, to me reinforced the idea that I already kind of uh, believe, but that there is an imprint that's left through that experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that, 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 that's a template type experience that whether you're consciously aware of it or not, it's an experience you had that shapes your subsequent perception of the world and the, 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 sort of threats the world presents and the, and the way you respond to them and the way you respond to challenges and, and your ability to meet those challenges is sort of shaped by um, an experience that I witnessed that I saw that my son at 18 months had something that we would call a memory about that experience. Cause there was no other, I mean, it was just like really tight and cold. And we weren't asking him, this was completely un. He was just asking questions and talking. We weren't prompting him. We didn't throw those words out there. He just oh. spontaneously described it. It was, Emily, really I about lost our minds. We were both standing there like freaking out. Like that is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life.
3: Wow. I love that story. Yeah. I, you know, with the perinatal space, I did not, I, you know, I really held that at arm's length when I was learning the theory, you know, Mm -hmm. when I started my training until I started having, you know, experiences in altered states, um, reconnecting with that. And, oh my gosh, the I mean, it makes sense, at the, just even what we understand around the nervous system and and the somatic sort of memory, right, is that, I mean, a, a, a fetus is moving through something uh, that is way smaller than its own body, you know, that's a huge imprint on the, on the, you know, relevant to like soma, you know, and what we understand about the somatic, um, you know, our somatic memory, and let alone just, you know, coming from this space where you know the the fetus and mother are undifferentiated and you know it's completely rely relying on the the mother for uh life nutrients etc into a space where there's a total individuation differentiation and and not only that but generally these days into you know really intense overhead lights and cold hands and um yeah. Something there, you know, that often is also not the mother, you know, the mother's is, is. is Forceps. Exactly. Or something called metal. Um, and, you know, if we just add on, uh, you know, just what it is possibly like to be pregnant in a society and culture like this, you know, where we're constantly bombarded. So we're, we're hearing and experiencing, you know, all of that input as well. And so it makes sense. To, and so people, you know, I hear I've heard enough stories at this point where uh, I have absolute belief in the, you know, in this in this sort of dimension of memory and existence and patterning. And uh, but yeah, it's fascinating. That reminds me, and I don't you if, don't
1: have to Oh, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. That reminds me. I don't know if you remember, Christine, you were, we were actually uh, together on my birthday this last year and you wish me a happy birthday or something. And I said, well, what did I do? I was just born. I didn't really have much to do with it. And you were like, no, it's <laughs> a big deal to be born. Like, and you said this stuff and I like took it in and I was like, Oh, you're right. Like it, it just made me think like how we think about birth in our culture is like, we don't hold it with any reverence or, I mean, it's a big deal of course, but we, we have a very kind of, it seemed like a simple way of looking at it and oh, no, um, like. You know, I love the thing about Stan that fascinates me is that he supposedly, I mean, this is the story. Maybe this isn't exactly true, is that he went into his work as an LSD researcher, therapist, doctor as an atheist. Yeah. You know, he didn't go into this believing stuff about the birth or transpersonal stuff like this was what he observed through altered states experiences and came out on the other end spending a lot of emphasis on things like the birth experience and 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 on and on
3: yeah i love that you bring that up because it it's it's fascinating the trajectory there because yeah he he was trained as a traditional freudian analyst mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so maybe there was some like little pieces about you know some of the complexes that that come through but the the only reason that he took this path was, you know, Sandoz Pharmaceuticals was sending around boxes of LSD to, to offices, psychiatrist offices. I don't know if you guys know this story. And the clinic he worked at was one of them. And so he decided to participate in this, uh, you know, experiment and they, I, you know, he tells the story so much better than me, but the, you know, he, they they plugged some things on the brain and they were watching some of the brain waves and, um, there were some lights they would flash at certain points, but he had a, uh, you know, an, an LSD experience that propelled him into a certain experience that changed the course of his life and of psychology as we know it. And that was it. Yeah. this it, And I love that because it wasn't somebody that just came from the the intellect, the cognitive space and thought, you know, these things together sort of make sense. Let's, it was really just uh through observation and listening, that this theory was sort of birthed. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not that he went, oh, I think, you know, so-and-so talked about the perinatal. And, you know, let me just sit with this and do sort of some algorithm and mathematical equation to see how we can make this work in terms of psychological framework. People just kept reporting perinatal experiences. Mm -hmm. So he started to write those down. And then he started to categorize them like, oh, there's you know the first matrix, second matrix, third matrix. That makes sense as we understand it biologically, physiologically, but it's starting to make sense as we understand it relevant to the psyche and to psychological and somatic impact. So yeah, it was a, it was it was like true research in that sense.
0: It's fun to just um <laughs> just take a step back and appreciate like. Uh, you know, like the experience you're describing of just getting a box in the mail, or of of, of Hoffman's initial discovery of uh, L, you know, LSD, and just put yourself in that situation and just think of the sheer, um, just it, madness of the whole thing. Like, just what a wild thing to just you know be a, you know kind of have just a traditional psychiatric practice or psychiatric research institute, and then you get this thing in the mail. And you do it, and you're like, "Oh, well, everything's different now." And just like it's just, I I just love the the thought of of that, or um, just how unprepared, you know, everyone must have been for this to just sort of like fall out of the sky, almost. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, I think a lot of you know, in a lot of ways, the times are just. It's like the time portal is sort of opening for to really receive this. When I started breathwork 18 years ago, um, I don't know, there was, people had no idea what it was you know, people didn't know who Stan Groff was. Um, so it's, I think it's also been some of the, you know, the, the psychedelic sort of space opening back up that's really brought this forward. And, um, you know, he's, he's not quite yet mentioned. I think we end at Carl Jung, you know, in, in the psychology courses, at least that I took, uh you know, there was like a, there's like, it's starting to be talked about a little bit, which is the branch that he sort of co-founded, which is transpersonal psychology, right? There's a couple of texts that are holding that, unless you go to C.I.A.S. or Naropa. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a time and a place uh, and a readiness, I think, for this sort of information, and perhaps we've entered that a little bit here.
1: So you've had a lot of experience leading holotropic breathwork retreats and facilitating experiences. But I'm curious if you could describe, uh, I know this is probably a very big question, um, but who are the kinds of people who are seeking out holotropic breathwork and who do you see this as a good fit for? Now, I imagine maybe some folks in our audience might be curious, like do you think, there are particular people that this is a really good match for?
3: Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, one, I think if anybody's like, has the, if there's that resonant, you know, there's such a resonance field around this kind of stuff that I trust where if someone's like I, that, you know, I want to try that. And there's a, yes, you know, that feels like the right person. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, on a really basic level, anybody who's who's wanting to try something that maybe is a little out of the ordinary, relevant to exploring their own um, their own psyche, uh, exploring you know the the somatic space. There's something really intriguing that I'm, I'm noticing. I'm talking about more these days around. Yeah, the capacity of the body to sort of really. for us to have a different sort of relationship with the with it's not just psyche, but also soma in these spaces, um, something really can come alive and there's a sort of gate door doorway that opens into the, the body that oftentimes a lot of methods have a hard time getting to. Um, I would say, uh, you know, people who are interested in working in expanded states that maybe don't feel ready for a psychedelic experience. Um, or they're in a preparation or integration phase of that, or they're looking for something that um, you know allows them to connect to their own sort of endogenous medicine again. Like you know, I, I find that a lot of people who've done a lot of medicine work come to the breathwork because they just they need to they want to work with that sort of um, the medicine that's already there, and there's there's a lot to that exists in that space. Um, people who are, you know, dealing with this sort of, um, you know, depression, anxiety, uh, cycles, these distress cycles that we're in, especially coming out of the pandemic. It's a really incredible space to be in because it's also done in a group. And I think there's a lot to say about group healing and community space and, um, right now, and, uh, maybe that's just me, but it feels really relevant to be in, be in circle together in this way and to do our work together,
0: Uh, you know, go ahead and say, go ahead and say all you want about that. I'm here for it.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's a little bit of the, like, uh, maybe this is just my, my thing too. There's, you know, I love individual work because I get to like, I'm like less exposed to more people. Right. Like there's a part of my ego. That's just like, Ooh, I need like this kind of facilitator one-on-one and it needs, you know, like, I'm very particular about the spaces I enter to do my work. However, um, yeah, I mean, this is uh the 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 group space, the the space that group or community um, containers offer, I think will never, you know, first of all, like sort of bypass and and traverse the and or just sort of obliterate the the like a little bit of the narcissism that we have and wanting to heal alone in, in our own spaces and do our own inner work, you know, there's, which I'm very much in that camp too. I, I love, like I said, I love individual space, but to come into community, um, and to heal is so incredible because one, I think we give each other so much permission Two, I think there is a, a field that gets created. I'll call it the like collective inner healer, um, that creates so much, uh, just potent and poignant potential to not just heal our own individual wounds, but to heal, you know, really participate in healing in the collective space. And two, so much of my trauma—I don't know about yours—happened uh, in relationship, and so it's so healing to find safe spaces to be in in the relational field in a in a new way, and to allow some of those um, some of those things to dissolve and soften. Just by the sheer fact that there's somebody here whose job is to just witness me. Mm -hmm. I love that about my favorite part about holotropic breathwork is the sitter breather dyad. Mm. Because of that, you know, there's um, so much medicine in just the, the simple experience of being witnessed by another human being. It's just not often that we, that we get to be sat for. And to know that there's a bunch of sentinels in the room, you know, and literally their job is not to interfere not to, not to do anything except to just be this sort of sacred witness unless I need them to do something otherwise and I there's so much medicine in that alone. Um And yeah. And then to the sort of power of the mystery, you know, I don't pretend to totally understand it, but I, I know that something happens in in these in the group space that, that just cannot for a myriad of reasons happen in solo space. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, this is how we used to heal. This is how our ancestors, you know, knew how to do it. The it got, My hope is that we can do more group medicine space or do more you know expanded state experiences in group because i think it will bring back some of the indigenous wisdom that lives in our bodies and in the psyche that i think is like really longing for our return um so yeah what is what are your thoughts about that
0: agreement (laughs) but also um you know also i guess i would add in just i think um Almost, uh, it's a more sociological viewpoint, you know. Where you know, whereas you know the society and you know in which we live is, um, you know, the term people like I think it's atomized. You know, people are are spread out, separated. You know, everything. Uh, by and large, um, we meet our own needs through uh, you know it's mediated by um, consumption, consumerism. You know, um, you know we buy what we need. Um, you know, we earn money, you know, it's all, it's, it's this, uh, ultra, um, individualistic and, um, you know, dependent on sort of centralized everything. Um, and fundamentally we're social creatures who are meant to be interdependent and depend on one another, uh, for our, for our needs be it emotional, uh, physical, physiological and i think we're sort of trained out of that by the social structure in which we live and i think that you know group powerful deep group experiences like that you know there's obvious, there's the healing experience uh, on a psychological level but i just also think there's the sort of like i don't know if you even want to call it counter programming or just this sense of you know interconnection and understanding of what that means you know uh, what interdependence really means i guess
3: yeah. I feel like we've lost that as a temp like a you know template in our our being. It's like we can talk about it intellectually but I don't know that like it's you know our ecosystem as you said is so siloed. So it's so, yeah. I I really support group space and and to be honest it's it's actually hard for me. It's hard for me as a participant. I I mean there's so much so many edges that come up around that which is exactly why I know that it's useful and healing and relevant, but it's it's hard.
1: Yeah, and I yeah, I agree with with all of this about the value of groups. And, you know, I get it. Some people, that might not be the right decision for them at the point that they're at, and that's okay. It's not like groups are always better. Sometimes, you know, doing one-on-one work is, is what's needed. Um, but there's, you know, one, one thing I wanted to ask you about given your interest in the mystery, given your, you know, your respect for the unknown here, given your work in the, uh, you know, the somatic realm, the nonverbal realm, I wanted to ask about how you think about, or how you might've been trained to think about the role of music in altered states experiences. You know, that's a big part of the setting of a group ceremony is having you know, particular kind of music to facilitate the, the cultivation of an altered state's experience. And, you know, so much what we know about music is that it, um, you know, it kind of lights up parts of the brain that have to do with, um, you know, like, uh, like emotional processing. And it was like maybe the foundation of language was making sounds and making movements to kind of communicate with one another and kind of gets below our, you know, or can be helpful in getting below... are are the level of intellectualization and ideas and beliefs and and accessing some more of this kind of felt set. So I'm just curious to hear you talk a little bit about music.
3: Mm, Yeah. I love that. I mean, in a lot of ways, Brian, you probably know more about this than me, just relevant, just based on what you just said. But I, to me, it's like the language of vibration, right. And, and to allow us, um, an opportunity to return to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's, uh there's a way that we use like the music particularly in the holotropic that on like a surface level is just evocative emotionally mm-hmm. does that make sense like that's probably the the most like the the surface layer that we understand is like well there's this music that if anybody who is like has any contact with you know their emotions would would feel something if they listen to this mm-hmm. um so it's, yeah, on one level, we sort of talk about it like, well, the music's really evocative. It's it's an evocative sort of boat that's supporting the experience. And everybody has a really different reaction, you know, to different songs. Someone will say, you know, that song just allowed me to, to um, tap into the deep well of grief. And then somebody next to them is, uh, I don't know, f- floating in the sunbeams with with Buddha, you know, it's having a total mystical experience. And then somebody else over there is like, that just, you know, uh, I couldn't stand that piece of music. So it's interesting how everybody um, can can experience a song differently. So there's, yeah, the evocative nature of sound and instrumentation. And then to me, there's this thing that happens underneath that, again, is as you said, sort of the, the 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 mysterious um, like ocean of sound that uh, allows for waves and and other like vibration and frequency to happen and touch maybe the vibration or frequency of something that's also existing in our being and to awaken that and to allow uh, space for emergence or exploration um, and then too yeah like you said you know we we use a lot of language at least here in the U.S. you know we try to be cognizant that people from different lineages are coming into the space, but, you know, we don't use English words. One, the English language is not the most vibrationally, like, like the frequency of our language is to me a little bit lower, but we use a lot of indigenous music and uh, really grateful for that. And what was created um, from that, um, from that space because it's it is it one it doesn't allow us you know to collapse things into a narrative by hearing language that we know Mm -hmm. um, and engaging the the cognition but Mm -hmm. two, it it allows for us i think to return to return and to remember something that in our everyday consciousness we can't and in our everyday verbiage and you know um narrative we can't and Oh, there's like a, you, well, you mentioned the pre-verbal. It just takes us, I think as soon as we, that's a threshold for me to get to grasp which is like, how do I come out of the verbal, the cognitive narrative of how I understand me and what's beyond me and instead move into something that, you know, we would call pre-verbal, we would call vibrational medicine, we would call, um, you know, the sort of more mystical space. And so I think the the music, if done well, I mean, we have a lot of training around the music, you know, is is serves as its own sort of branch of of medicine, yeah. But in terms of like where it lights up the brain, I don't know. It's funny. There's a part of me that stayed like out of that space for a reason because I do I do appreciate the mystery. Um, it's mm-hmm. sort of a little bit magical for me. But I know there's so much research done on uh, breath. And music relevant to to our our biochemistry in the brain. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it is. I I mean, I'm a music fan and I find music magical, even though that's not how I may relate to it day to day. It's just music. But like when you stop to think about how a song can Mm -hmm. evoke so much so quickly, it can take me back to a time in my life like that, or it could, you know, evoke uh, a strong emotion that just came out of nowhere, which is quite magical, right? That that we have that something about music and and uh, that that allows us to, to to kind of have those experiences. And I find it fascinating that music is such a big part of psychedelic assisted therapy, yeah. in the way that you know, normal therapy you would never have <laughs> discussions about playing music or. And now we're having, I'm reading research articles about like, what's the best playlist. And I just read something that like a tiny little study found that like people preferred overtones to classical music under psilocybin and they might've had better outcomes. They might've had more of a mystical experience with the overtones than with the classical music. So I just find the idea of like, um, you know, moving beyond the, the, the linguistic, the rational into these more um, other, other um, ways of communicating and being with our ourselves, uh, you know, just is really interesting to me.
3: Yes, me too. Yeah, it's really, 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 really a fascinating um, space. And again, like the way that we're all reacting differently is relevant. That tells me, uh, you know, there's something about whatever the music is carrying that, that is relevant to also what we're carrying and how those things are interacting and relating. And I think it's
0: important to, to, to really be mindful too, with this, um, that we don't know what we don't know about it at all. Um, You know, I think it's so, I I mean, I think it's obvious to to all of us. I think, you know, know, most people who have sort of any kind of experience in this domain, just, I mean, how powerful it is. Um, But I, I mean, I just think, Yeah, we don't know what we don't know. And I don't know that we will necessarily get there. I'm fond of saying, you know, you can be, uh, you know, uh, really uh, involved in this work and you can be um, really interested in, in, you know, non-ordinary states of consciousness and all that. And you don't have to care at all about anything remotely resembling brain research like that's okay (laughs) you don't need to um uh that's one way of understanding um it's a way that people get into and can maybe be useful in some ways but certainly it's only one way of talking about what's going on and I'm personally pretty skeptical that it is going to end up being that useful at all but um you know maybe the people who are into it can do it I think it's perfectly okay to not care at all about it and I, I don't um, and, well now,
3: um, Nate, you know, what's so yeah. funny about what you said is the Stan, Stan Groff wrote an article once, you know, he was a, he's a doctor. So he understood physiologically the power of the breath and that we change brain chemistry when we, you know, and, uh, that, that all, he understood physiologically, all the things that were shifting in the body when we do a deeper, faster breath in the way that we do in the holotropic. So he writes this whole article about it what we get and understand about it. And then at the end he said, but none of this actually explains Mm -hmm. what happens Mm -hmm. in spaces. And, you know, just sort of reiterated that, yeah, there's a part of this that at least I hope the karma of it is that it will forever. (laughs) There's a, there's an aspect of it that will ever will forever remain in that, you know, in the unknown, Mm -hmm. we can't categorize into, into a paper research paper. That at the yeah. end mm-hmm. we get some of it, and then we go and and still, yeah, palm of the mystery.
1: Yeah, there's a humility I think in, in kind of how you're framing that, and I think a lot of times the neuroscience can be presented with with maybe a tone of arrogance or or kind of a like a domineering, dominating kind of vibe to it. Like we're we're gonna just figure this out and reduce it to a bunch of chemicals. And, um, yes. Yeah, you know one thing you said earlier, Christine, that I wanted to go back to um, was in your role of facilitator, um, you described what sounded to me like a pretty strong ethic around not being intrusive, around you know respecting the person's process, uh, their inner healing intelligence, being very self-aware as to what your own stuff is and how it's being activated and that when you're in that role that you're not, you know, responding to your needs as opposed to what the the people that you're working with need from you. And, you know, in the context of we're at this tipping point where psychedelic assisted therapy is, you know, about to break out, um, you know, I think it's such an important part of the conversation that anyone who wants to facilitate altered states experiences, um, you know, really needs to hear this this ethic and and how important it is in working with somebody in a vulnerable state of mind uh, to to be um you know very attuned to these things that you're describing and so um you know i i, I wanted to ask like what when you when you know given your training as a holotropic uh, breathwork facilitator you, you said you spent four and a half years maybe doing that formal training and has you know done your own work. And when you look at other, you know, when you look at psychedelic therapy about to be, you know, we have it in Oregon. we have psilocybin facilitator training, we have MDMA training, just coming, you know, coming down the line, like what, what do you see happening in those spaces? And do you have concerns about maybe not as much of that ethic being emphasized um, or do you see that it's being talked about and feel comforted that we're, we're including that kind of training when we are bringing on board a new generation of facilitators and
3: therapists. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a whole nother, a whole nother podcast, Mm -hmm. but it's, um, well, yeah. I mean, I feel, I think it's just, um, you know, one is that I think as, as long as we are always remembering that we are an apprentice to the medicine or an apprentice to this space that we're stepping into, that is a, a good posturing that will hopefully continue to reflect the need to always um, keep doing our own work. I mean, to me, the the, the antidote and the the piece here that feels so relevant is that if we continue to do our own work, there is at least a relationship with accountability and self-honesty um, or some, some capacity to stay in relationship with that. I know I'm always on that spiral um, of coming and going, losing and remembering uh, the need to... Uh, be really honest with myself about what I'm bringing into a space I have a practice that I do every time I walk into a um a breath work and um, I write down everything that i'm am consciously aware that I'm bringing into the space and I will it's generally pages long if i'm honest right like there's so much of me that is existing in that moment and um it's just really helpful to get into right relationship with what's happening in my body, you know, around my need for intimacy and connection, uh around my need to be um affirmed or validated in the space as facilitator, or teacher, or spaceholder. Um, you know, where's my am I being nourished in, in my own relationships, in my own community spaces? Like, am I tired? You know, like have I properly eaten that morning? And um yeah, is the pain, the chronic pain in my neck, you know, lit up this morning? Like, am I walking it with any sort of um, like, just like body limitations? And, um, you know, because the way that I, that I see a lot of us being trained is like, um, okay, don't touch, learn wheel of consent, you know, who are you touching for? And that's it. And it's just not enough training. It's just not Mm -hmm. enough. I think you know, the reality is training around touch and, and just holding, you know, even non-touch space is just this ongoing unfolding. And I think if we're just teaching that, that's at least enough of a of an opening to allow us the to know that, oh, we're never going to get this thing down, and it's our job to continue to to, uh, to be accountable you know, to the ongoing unfurling of what this means to hold space for somebody. Mm-hmm. I think the word facilitator is even a little bit off to me. Like if, if I'm get really like particular about this, like the, the role of facil- I'm not facilitating a whole lot here. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think like the, the sort of sitter, or the support is or the word support is more accurate in the sense that like, I am here to support you, your journey with the medicine. Um, or in this case, you know, with breathwork, the the inner wisdom. And um, I hope that I don't get in the way of that. Mm. You know, one of my teachers used to say, <laughs> the, the facilitator is the most important person in the room and not important at all.
2: Mm.
3: To hold that paradox requires a shit ton amount of, of work on ourselves. To rem- really remember that and sit in the tension of that. Because I think if we can sit in the tension, it reminds me of Carl Jung's like tension, of the opposites, like, oh, I'm so important and I'm not important at all. There's a third energy that can come through that can be the guiding force and principle in that space. And, um, you know, another thing one of my uh, teachers used to say was, you know, people heal not because of us, but in spite of us. And, you know, he was being like dramatic about it, but it's true. It's like, um, let's remember our position here, you know, let's remember our position here that we are in like a deep bow always to what is happening within this person and not about how we are creating the space for that. Obviously, you know, yeah, when we do our work and we do our training and we show up in a really good way, I think there's something to like, to be proud of there. I don't want to like completely dismiss the facilitator, but because I I feel like I know my own ego and my own narcissism. I have to be like really dramatic about the fact that I might not be that important in the space mm-hmm. always because my ego is like always looking for something to grab onto that makes me the most important person in a space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the work. It's like, what would it look like if we just all got really honest about that? You know? Um, because there's a, there's a humility that comes too, and just saying like, I I don't know, let's see, let's see what happens here. And my job is not to understand exactly how to do this support, this, this thing that you need in this moment. But the reality is your body will show me Mm -hmm. if I'm really attuned to the inner wisdom, or I'm going to talk about breathwork for a second, but to me, it's the same in medicine space, um, in psychedelic space. If I really am attuned or, or let me say this, this thing that we say, like, trust the medicine, and we say, trust the inner healer. If we really mean that, it's because we've done enough of our own work that we really trust that inside of ourselves. And that will, that's what gets to show up in the space, is that when something's arising for somebody, there's not a need to effort to understand how to intervene. Because if we trust the medicine or we trust the inner, inner healer, that's exactly the thing that we're following, and it will show us all that we need. And so it allows us to, to me, to stay in right relationship in that as a support, you know, we're the support staff to the inner wisdom, essentially. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, the reality is there's nothing in nine months that will ever teach, you know, these are the the length of training Brazil's I've been trained like that will never, that would never be enough for me to understand how to be in right relationship with the ethics of holding an expanded state space for people. So my hope is that we understand that as a very, like a a baseline, a thin layer that we have to continue to add on to over and over and over again. And that we've received enough of our own work and and have been held in enough spaces to know what ethical touch feels like, to know what ethical space holding feels like, and to understand that it's a very nuanced and complex relational field that we're stepping into. Um, So yeah. You know, you
0: said the word, uh, you know, you said the word, um, and it is, it, we are, you know, we are talking about something very, very paradoxical here because, um, like, and this uh, holds, I think uh, for psychotherapy, almost everything that you said, um, holds for the practice of psychotherapy as well, um, in my experience. Um, and there's this, you know, sense of, um, like, I think somebody who is a skilled, you know, facilitator or a skilled therapist or, you know, whatever your role you're playing. That person can be extremely skilled and being skilled does matter, <laughs> I think, a great deal. Right. And it's also I hear what you're saying and, and you know, and you're saying you're, you're saying kind of an exaggerated way because it's important to uh, is vital Um to be humble and understand, you know, sort of like the source or where the work's coming from, or the locus of control of what is happening, and it's not in you. Um, so it, it is this paradoxical balance between, yeah, the 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 better, you know, the more uh, you know intensely focused you are, the more aware you are of your own process, the more experience you have, the more knowledge and wisdom, the more skilled you'll be, and the and 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 you know, the better you'll be, and that that makes a difference. Um, mm-hmm but also it doesn't make a difference because in yeah, in this paradoxical way, it doesn't make a difference because of how fabulous you are, right? Like, it's not like this, like I'm going to go in there because I'm so fabulous and I'm going to make this difference, but there is something in the demeanor of how you carry yourself and how you work that makes a difference. And that, that takes a very long, subtle time to uh, develop, um,
3: yeah, and I think it's it's for me. And this is I'm I'm super open to being wrong here. Is like that can only come. That is the kind of integrity that can only come from doing enough of our own work.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so that's the, <clears throat> like that's always the, yeah that's the principle. To me, is like mm-hmm. this is always the the yeah the reciprocity in the space or being able to show up in these spaces is that we also <laughs> go show up in those spaces and lay on a mat and get vulnerable. Because yeah. I, you guys, I I listened to Stan Groff talk for twelve hours a day, um, yeah, about twelve hours a day for weeks, and you know, in different like over the years, I didn't learn anything about being a good facilitator oh. from the mm-hmm. master. In that way, what I learned is doing my own absolutely gut wrenching personal experiences on the mat, where I had really good facilitators who had also done years and years of that same work, do body work on me, or you know, be with me, sit for me, have a conversation after the session. Like that's where I gleaned mm-hmm. the true like meaning of what it meant to be with somebody in this space and so that's the catch right it's like I can understand theoretically what it means to hold this space but it really wasn't until I just got got messy and went you know into into all these own places myself and then received that I really understood the download that I really got the download yeah yeah And that's tricky. It's really tricky when we're doing that. We're training people in psilocybin, right? That can't have psilocybin experiences yet legally. Um, So, yeah, I also trust the evolution. You know, I I trust the like evolving movement that's happening. And I trust the timing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I trust the medicine has a plan here. Um, And I do, I trust some of the humans that are holding it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Brian and I did an episode about this last season about um, whether a you know person um, needed to have yeah you know, and I think we could extend it to breath work and just uh, you know uh, personal experience um, yeah. you know with non ordinary states of consciousness and I did my best to kind of keep an open mind about it um, um, but I, I mean I just kind of think it's an absurd question <laughs> of course <laughs> like of course. Um, and i can't imagine otherwise um i really tried in that episode though to keep an open mind but i just can't understand i can't understand how you would approach this work and how you like how you could even have something important to offer if you didn't have mm-hmm. experience in non ordinary states of consciousness
1: I think the same is true of being a good therapist too. Like not talking about non-normative states, you know, and Nate and I are ACT therapists. And if you go to an ACT workshop, like you will be asked to contact your own suffering and it it might be within the first 15 minutes of the, of the first day. And, and that's such a value in the ACT community is that we are working with ourselves. and, And I totally 100% 100% I tell students that I supervise, I believe this, like I learned to act by applying it to my own suffering, working with it and having that experiential learning to be able to refer to and to trust the process. You know, like I'm an exposure therapist and I ask people to do hard things. And it's really hard to ask people to do scary things, even when I know that it is, it is in their best interest. Um, and I, you know, and so like, I've got, I've, you know, it feels like I'm only able to confidently ask people to go to these hard places because I've, I've done, you know, I've, I've done that myself. And um, I, I'm really happy that we're, we're kind of landing on that as a, as an important message. Uh, I know it's something that does get talked about uh, a decent amount, I think. And but I don't think can be talked about enough.
3: Yeah. I mean, talk about vibrational medicine, right? Like in the sense that, or the vibrational web we live in and exist in, I don't know about you guys, but I, I know my body will tell me, my system will tell me if I'm sitting in front of somebody that's wanting, you know, that I'm trying to do work with, that hasn't been there themselves, mm. my stuff just won't come up. Mm. I've sat in sessions Doing expanded state work where my body, knows, my, my psyche knows exactly what is capable of being held here.
2: Yeah.
3: And um, I don't necessarily realize that in the moment, but when things come through that I would have never imagined, like that I didn't even know existed in me that are some of the deepest, you know, d- darkest aspects of my being, that stuff came up when I was held by somebody who had also been there period. I mean that's the field we're sort of working in too. Psychedelics well, that the danger right? Right?
0: isn't that the yeah. d- danger of psychedelics too is that that stuff is going to come up. It's going to come up regardless, anyways. Regardless of whether the person there's capable of holding it. It's just going to come
3: exactly. up. Well, and I think that's the Yeah, I also I I I think it will and I I want to like there's a part of me that wants to say I want to trust. I really want to trust the the, the psyche a little bit too in that like it may come up but it i've been in spaces where that's happened and there was a part of me that was like nope not here which is not helpful it's it's really dangerous my system took a hit for that right um so yeah i think it does speak to the need and yeah it's uh that's the apprenticeship too, Brian, like what you were talking about to me, it's like the, that we are always, you know, whatever training we're doing, we're doing our own, we're really doing our own work and being in constant willingness to see are, are we in right relationship? Are we doing enough? Do I, you know, do I really trust the medicine or am I just saying that as a thing to throw over this experience that I actually have absolutely you know, no idea of what to do here? You know, do I trust the medicine because I've, I've watched, you know, I've traversed so many different places in relationship with it too, or am I just sort of throwing that out? Because I think that, um, you know, as a sort of a bypass mechanism, I've, I've done, I mean, there's times where I've seen that happen where people are like, oh, just trust the medicine, but they don't actually really hold and you know, and, and embody what that means. And then I've had people say that where every fiber of my being knows that that's true, that they trust it. And it's just interesting to consider and be curious about, you know, the spaces we walk into and where we're holding. And I actually, you know, I hate to say it, but I think it's important to experience space where where we can identify like, oh, I think I'm not feeling very safe here. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's what that feels like. I think those are important, too. Or that's what it feels like to be held here in this space, it's not that it's not safe, but I am feeling the nuances that my system has to manage and hold to, to be here versus yeah. like, oh, wow, that's an opening. Yeah. And I think it's it's just interesting to experience different spaces and the way people hold it. I would encourage people to go into a lot of different spaces and explore. Yeah. It feels right.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. For, yeah. Thank, thanks for, for saying that. Maybe that would be a good place for us to end today and um yeah i just really want to thank you christine for being willing to come on and um you know i think it's an act of generosity to share your your time and your uh your experience and i hope that you've gotten some of our viewers or listeners excited about breathwork and we'll put some um resources in our show notes for folks to check it out and see if it's something you might be interested in exploring further but yeah just really wanted to say how grateful i am for for your time and your integrity and humility and and what you bring to the space christine
3: mm, thank you thank you both so much yeah, it was great to chat with you today
1: i
0: i'd like to add too that i that um i appreciate the um you know there's something in the you know, you've been i think you said something like 18 years which i thought about it's like that would have been almost exactly the same year that I probably would have gone to a stance workshop. Like <laughs> it's about right then. Um, but just doing this work um, over time. And I think right now, and, and and we talk to a lot of great, really fantastic people on the podcast and, uh, and have discussions all over the place about this stuff. But I think there's something in the conversation about psychedelics right now that feels so, um, I don't know how to put it exactly, but like, um maybe manic <laughs> that might be what i'm trying to say or you know because you know it's happening so fast and everybody's excited about the research and the science and the this mm-hmm. and the that and you know i appreciate about this uh conversation is just grounded in you know uh mm-hmm. you've just sort of been plugging away doing the same work for about 20 years now um Uh, it's sort of the energy I feel too, you know, just kind of like I shifted into a psychotherapy practice and I'm very interested Mm. in psychedelics, but it's just like, you know, there's something about like just doing the work over time and not being caught up in like the latest, like exciting, like what's happening and what does this mean? And how is this going to change everything? I mean, you know, I assume you, I mean, I know I feel that, but like, uh, I appreciate that in this conversation very much. Just somebody plugging away, doing the work and, um, kind of having that perspective.
3: Mm. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that reflection.
1: Thanks again for listening to another episode of Altered States of Context. If you haven't already, please sign up for our newsletter by going to alteredstatesofcontext.com.
0: You'll also find information there about where to find us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Your listening means a lot to us, and we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, have a great trip.